Feel the music, people. Feel that sweet, smooth extraction coming out like 30 perfect grams of freshly roasted ground coffee. Oh boy, it's the coffee episode of Scoff. You can call it Scoffy. I'm just going to call it Scoff Episode 3 Coffee Edition of the Melbourne Food Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me, loyal scoffers. I think I just tagged the official line for the Scoff fan base. Scoffers. Scoffies? Who knows? Welcome back to Scoff. What's been going on? I've been drinking a lot of coffee recently, trying to do a bit of research. Trying to figure out what makes good coffee. Coffee is very different from cup to cup. Everyone seems to have a different idea, probably based on how they were brought up, of what coffee should be. We're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about some of the coolest, some of the most progressive, some of the most interesting coffee roasters and sellers in Melbourne, both the South CBD and North. Sorry, Westsiders, your time will come. Probably in another 15 years or so, as all the cool kids discover that the only place they can buy property is the western suburbs, and the cafes come. But for now, I'm sticking for South CBD and Northside. Call me ignorant. I already know I am. There will be some news floating around this week. I'm going to be talking about the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival and the blockbuster lineup of masterclasses they'll be hosting. And then with the coffee theme still lingering on our palate, like so much cupping of single origin light roast Guatemalan, we'll be talking about the most ridiculous coffee orders you can experience and why do people act like that? Oh boy. So the Melbourne International Food and Wine Festival is coming our way in March and April. It will be coinciding with the momentous occasion of hosting the World Top 50 Restaurant Reveal. The creme de la creme. And the creme de la creme. Haha. <laughs> the travelling circle jerk of backslapping and free food, which is the world's top 50 restaurants. Do you follow these people on Instagram? Does it look like they're actually doing any cooking whatsoever? It doesn't to me. It looks like they just float around to each other's mates' restaurants, soaking up the freebies. The frequent flyer miles of some of those guys is insane. Anyway, all credit to them. They're the peak of the game, and they're going to be in Melbourne, in Carlton, counting down the top 50. Here's hoping a bit of local bias will sneak in, and a couple of Aussies will make their claim. Maybe Attica will sneak up higher on the list. Maybe Bray will ooze into the top 50. Certainly deserves it. And obviously to coincide with this momentous event, the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival went out and snagged some of the big names who will be in town to teach some masterclasses. So if you are interested in cooking spaghetti, caccia, pepe, like Carlo Cracco, of the three Michelin starred renowned Cracko in Milan, you can do that. You can pay $95, watch him cook some pasta and follow along. Or you can pay $35 and have no pasta and just observe, which is probably um, 
pretty cruel. You have to be a bit of a masochist to do that, to be sitting in the same theatre as David Thompson frying up betel leaves and crispy chicken lard and not jump over with a chopstick and get stuck in. Uh, other than the aforementioned superstar chefs, there will be the highly influential Wiley Dufresne coming to town. Uh, Wiley, I don't believe he's cooking anymore. I don't think he has uh, a restaurant per se. I could be wrong. But he is famous for WD-40, which was at the vanguard, the forefront of the molecular gastronomy boom a few years back. Very influential New York chef and a bit of an icon of the scene. And one of my favourite chefs and one of my favourite Instagram followers, Zayu Hasagawawa of Jimbocho Den in Tokyo, who has a really playful approach to the Kaiseki traditional uh, fine dining format, uh, will be in town teaching a masterclass. The heavy-hitting executive chef of the Dinner by Heston restaurant group, which I guess is only two, but still it's Two pretty great ones. Ashley Palmer-Watts will be teaching us the intricacies of some of his sort of historically tinged English fare. Uh, the chef of Mexico City's Quintonil, number 12 in the world, Jorge Vajiro, will be in town. Um, Gaston Acurio from the, uh, he's sort of the, the poster boy for Peruvian ceviche, which I'll be trying to get along to that because there's ain't nothing better than a little bit of slightly marinated raw fish. And the biggest name of all, Grand A-Chats of Chicago's iconic Michelin temple, Alinea, will also be in town teaching his master classes, along with a whole bunch of other local heroes uh, who are, let's be honest, a little bit run-of-the-mill compared to some of those big names. will all be in town for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival to coincide with the world's top 50 restaurants being announced in Melbourne. Those tickets are on sale now. Get them from Melbourne International Food and Wine Festival website.com slash Ticketmaster slash Ticketech, wherever you can get tickets. Head along, you might see me bobbing away trying to get an interview on Scoff. So, coffee. Coffee in Melbourne. Melbourne is coffee. Is there anything more inextricably linked with our city and our culture than ground up beans pushed through some sort of water device and consumed. No, there's not. There is no bigger uniter, no bigger social lubricant, no bigger uh, device for daily ritual. It is a very personal thing to our city. I dare say there's not a lot of people that live and work in Melbourne over the age of, they're getting younger, over the age of 15 that don't have some sort of relationship with coffee that don't drink it or espouse it or know something about it. And for, for most of us, it's a daily routine. It's a spiritual act, the consumption of coffee. We've tricked our brains into thinking they don't work before coffee. That's obviously an excuse you hear a lot of early in the morning. Sorry, I haven't had my coffee yet. We believe it. Whether it's actual chemical evidence or not is something different. But I'm here to tell you that there is no true answer to what is the best coffee in Melbourne. Yes, I know, shock horror. It's very subjective. Some people like a dirty, dark, heavily roasted to buggery Dimatina skinny cap that tastes literally like ashtray. Some people like a gently simmered filter, AeroPress, single origin, 
Guatemalan geisha, the taste of Tetley's tea. I'm somewhere in the middle. I like coffee to be strong. I like it to be unsweetened and I like to be able to taste the beans, whether it's in black or white. I'm a strong flat white drinker. Have the occasional magic if I work up the courage to order one. Also been known to drink filters, cold brews, long blacks, espressos, Turkish coffee. I don't mind. Serve it up. But where do you go to serve it up? I'm going to break it down into three categories. On the Scoff Coffee Adventure 2017, we're going to be looking at Southside, CBD, and Northside. With sincerest apologies to our Western and Far Eastern suburban friends, to whom we are relying on you to expand the area, get out there, buy your houses in affordable land, build up the coffee scene, then I'll get out there and review it for you. Because at the minute, it's a little bit lacking. No offence, there's some good ones, but not enough for a full chat on scoff. Let's start south of the Yarra, south suburbs. And when you talk about coffee in the southern suburbs, you talk about the big boy granddaddy monk body dharma. This is a pretty iconic cafe that has recently expanded into a roastery, which is rebranded as Disciple. They are doing beautiful things, mainly with South American coffees, single origin, very lightly roasted, very floral. If you're into your coffee, this is a great place to start. Navigate the hippies and their slightly smelly sort of attire. Skip this, the smashed avo if you like, even though it's pretty delish. And get straight into the good stuff. Let's talk about these coffees. What makes them so good? The cherries of the coffee, sourced with sort of medical precision and roasted to bring out corresponding flavours in each one. There's a science, and these guys are doing it well. You've also got to talk about the gargantuan behemoth, the Goliath, that is St. Ali, and their South Melbourne outpost, and their roastery sensory lab. Recently acquired the north side iconic cafe auction rooms. Um, these guys are, you know, the real deal. And their expansion into the UK and Indonesia shows you that they have a real knack for branding and they know how to make a good cup of coffee. They're eponymous with Melbourne Coffee. Their cafe is one of the stalwarts of the scene. They certainly know what they're doing. If not a little bit cool for school at times, but you do get that occasionally. And in that South Melbourne area, you've also got ex San Ali sort of exponents at Dead Man Espresso and the lovely Clement at South Melbourne Market. Further up in South Yarra, you've got one of my favourite haunts, Slater Street Bench, which is a really cool minimalist spot. I'm not going to talk it up too much because that's where I like to hang out the most and I don't want it to be overrun with too many scoffers. And then heading into town, across the bridge, into the CBD, you've got one of the busiest little spots in the city, Brother Baba Boudin, a buzzy little coffee bar where you can get a delicious coffee in a cool space surrounded by chairs on the roof. When you're talking about coffee in Melbourne, you're talking about Market Lane, which has city outposts as well as Queen Vic, uh, Pram Market and a couple of other outposts. These guys are deathly serious about what they do. A little bit similar to the Monk Body Dharma um, ethos in that they are religiously sourcing their beans 
roasting them to suit the flavor profile and then preparing them as such. Certain coffees are only made as filters. Never served with soy milk. And I think they've actually gotten away with, got, gone away with skinny milk as well, which is a daring, daring maneuver. And one that I think a lot of hospitality people wish they had the balls to do is just do things the way they want to do them. Um, highly recommend in one of the, the big boys and authorities on coffee is Market Lane. Another one of my favourite spots in the CBD is Patricia Coffee Roasters, a beautiful standing bar, ambient coffee house with a small array of, of cakes and, and nibbles um, flanked by milk crate seats at the front, but inside sort of very ornately decorated, beautiful presentation, uh, very friendly staff, love the way they've got sort of a, a, a cavalcade of newspapers stuck across the walls. Seems very sort of civilised. Big fan of Patricia and what they do. And also you've got to talk about Dukes on Flinders Lane. Ex-owners of Journeyman slash Dukes on Chapel Street, one of the busier cafes in Melbourne. They're now focusing on their roastery and their small coffee houses, one of them on Flinders Lane, which is a cool little spot as well. A little alcove, sort of a nice respite from the hub of Swanston Street. Thoroughly recommended. When you're talking north of the river, the aforementioned auction rooms is a big boy with outstanding food. Um, they used to house the small batch roastery. I'm also a fan of Burnside on the corner of Gertrude Street in Fitzroy, a really cool little coffee bar which just focuses on the basics and delivers them well, which is something that more coffee places should do. Don't get too caught up in the spirit of the moment chives and the filtered cocoa and let's bring it back let's keep it simple and let's deliver the people what they want also in north side you got proud mary doing big things hugely thriving roastery business uh, and you've got the sort of dual venues of code black which are also roasting up a storm some deliciousness and some pretty cool venues as well so there's a lot to take in there there's a lot of different coffee places to check out in melbourne all of them doing a different thing all of them catering to a slightly different type of clientele. If you're after a particular thing, you've probably already found it. You've probably formed a relationship with your local cafe and it is inextricably linked with your daily routine. You're probably known by name. They see you coming a mile away and get that skinny decaf cappuccino coming for you. Now, you might not expect me to say this, and in fact, I surprised myself. But when that half soy, half almond, three-quarter full extra hot cold milk on the side decaf cappuccino comes in, I don't necessarily feel upset. I don't necessarily feel disappointed. I don't necessarily feel frustrated that I have to make that, and it's going to take me five times longer than it would a normal cappuccino, which uh, isn't priced accordingly. My overwhelming feeling is empathy. I feel bad for you. I feel sorry that this has happened to you, that you have been so information deprived, that you have somehow got this misconception that that is what coffee is. When you and your mates say, let's go out for coffee, and then Robbo orders an extra hot, large, skinny chai. I feel sorry for Robbo. Robbo missed the memo, guys. 
Robbo, I miss the fact that when we go out to drink coffee, we're there to drink the coffee. We're not there to drink the milk. We're not there to drink some fake cornstarch sugar powdered imitation drink. We're not there to drink hot chocolates, guys. We're there to drink coffee. And there's some people that can't drink coffee. There's some people who genuinely can't drink it. And that's okay. That's fine. Nothing against that. People can't have issues with caffeine. If they have the caffeine, they can have heart issues. Coffee can kill people. That's okay. But there's not a lot of people. Some people can't have full cream milk. Makes them feel sick. Makes them vomit. All over the place. Ruin their day. Ruin their whole digestive system. But there's not a lot of people. But there's a lot of people ordering soy and decaf. And why are these people doing it? Because they think it's good for them. Even though soy milk is really bad for you. Even though decaf's been cooked within an inch of its life into buggery and usually has chemicals in it and tastes like garbage. I feel sorry for these people because they have been brought up in a way that makes them think they know something when they don't and they haven't bothered to learn about it and now they're inflicting their pain on everyone else. And you extra hot folks out there, <clears throat> I'm not remaking your coffee. It is hot enough. Don't tell me how hot to make your coffee. If you want it hotter, that's up to you. And by the way, we don't serve Nescafe here. It didn't come from a kettle. It was gently stained with some organic full cream milk to bring out the flavors of the coffee and make it a velvety texture for you. And you've sent it back because it's not hot enough. Let me tell you something. Nescafe is like $3 for 500 mils. You can get a lot of shit coffees out of that. Save a lot of money and don't inflict your garbage on me. And don't give me attitude. Don't say, oh, last time it wasn't hot enough, blah, blah, blah. That's your problem. That's not my problem. Do you go to View Mont and ask them to overcook the marin because you like your marin overcooked? No, you just sit there and experience it. Sit there and type it in for what it is.